Bankless Nation, super excited to introduce you to another state of the nation, David. Uh, I smell the bull market. There That's what I smell. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about some bull market narratives today with Vance from Framework. What's on the agenda? We're going to talk about smell. There's a reason why Ryan just said he smells a bear market. Uh, do we have the fang of DeFi? Fang, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google. Oh God, what's the other one? Uh, I don't know because <laughs> I don't own equities anymore. Uh, but Fang, it's like the uh, all of the the staples of of TradFi, the staples of Silicon Valley. Vance thinks that there might be the Fang uh, afoot in DeFi, uh, the tokens that are going to brew the staples of a DeFi portfolio. Smell would be the acronym. We're gonna get into what is comprised in this smell. Uh, but also there's some other bull market narratives that we want to to touch on. Uh, Friends is sweeping through crypto Twitter is the the app of the moment is that a sustainable narrative or is that a fad um and then there's some other narratives that we're going to talk about as well such as etfs and gaming and staking and on-chain casinos and so this is uh gonna be the topic of the show on-chain casinos eh? uh <laughs> guys before we begin we want to uh give you a message from our friends and sponsors over at safe as uh, safe it was, it was kind of funny david you and i were going through our safe multi-sig mm-hmm. just prior just to this now, episode yeah. uh-huh. almost confirmed the transaction but didn't quite do it but what what does uh safe want the bankless nation to know yeah so safe is working on their proposal for a modular open source uh, protocol framework for account abstracted wallets smart contract wallets we all know that we are now in this world of uh, externally owned accounts, which is just probably the wallet that you have. But eventually we are going to get into being the, into the world of 99%, 0.9% smart contract wallets. And SAFE is introducing their SAFE core protocol to help with that transition. So there's a link in the show notes. This is for all the devs out there that they want you to check out as their proposed way to move forward into the transition for smart contract wallets. Uh, it needs to be a unified standard uh, it's so that we can all agree that this is a standard that we move forward for. It's unopinionated. Uh, and they think that it is the right place to go. So if you are a dev working in the world of wallets, there's a link in the show notes. And they also have a hackathon, a dev, uh, dev, another thing for the devs, they have a hackathon in early September for people who want to build on this platform. So there's a link in the show notes to get started with that. David, as we get in this episode with with Vance, I know he's one of our, uh, you know, one of our favorite market mm-hmm. commentaries, has a really yeah. sharp sense of um, you know, when the cycles begin, when yeah. they end. And so I really want to get a sense of what he's uh, looking at right now, mm-hmm. what some of the narratives he's looking at are. I know uh, we've talked in the roll-up a little bit about you and uh, preparing your, your, your bull, market bull market battle, battle station. station yeah. That's, I think, what you call it. I think this, for me, will be an episode to start exploring kind of what the bull market narratives mm-hmm. might be. And that is uh, an important component, I would imagine, of the, of the bull market battle station. What what do you think listeners should should know going into this episode and then coming out of it? Yeah, I think that's right. I think generally the sentiment on crypto is that there is a bull market afoot. It's not here yet, and we're but we're getting whiffs of it on on in the air. We're smelling it. Uh, so <laughs> that was you that uh, time. Yeah, right. Uh, and so like, but there's a bunch of narratives as to what it could be. We're starting to get a direction but we still haven't found the source, the source of the smell, the, the source of the bull market. Uh, and so I think this is kind of the state of crypto Twitter is like, there's all these different narratives. Some of them, multiple narratives might also might, might be correct. Some of them might be wrong. Uh, and since we are, you know, preparing ourselves for this potential bull market, we need to 
try and figure out where the source of all the smell is. And so that is what we're doing here today on the show. We're just going to be smelling our way through this episode. <laughs> uh, guys, we'll be, we'll be right back in just a moment. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible, including our number one recommended crypto exchange, Kraken. Go check them out. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now, Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you are a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Vance and Framework rode some legendary assets out of the grave of the 2018 to 2020 bear markets <laughs> to their all-time highs in 2020 and beyond. Link, Ave, Synthetics. These uh, tokens might ring a bell. These tokens were generally massive contrarian bets after the ICO mania of 2017 turned everyone off of tokens. Today, we're bringing Vance back onto the show because of smell, S-M-E-L-L, not an odor, but instead five different assets. The fang of crypto is the question we are asking. We're going to run through each one of these, talk about the merits of each, and also some other bull market narratives that is running around the current crypto meta. Vance, welcome back to Bankless. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, so let's start with the current narrative that's running around, which is which is a social fi, because uh, we got to get this one out of the way before we get into smell. Social fi, uh, friend tech is now sweeping through crypto, starting to poke through to mainstream. Maybe overall, like w w even if I, I don't think anyone really thinks that friend specifically is the app that's going to take crypto mainstream. Maybe you disagree, but overall, like what are your learning lessons, your big takeaways from this whole friend phenomenon that's going on? 
yeah, I mean, first of all, you never know. These things are uh, like the stuff that looks like a toy oftentimes ends up being really powerful. And I was on Instagram this morning and this influencer that I follow was like all about their friend tech shares. And this is someone who hasn't been involved really? in, cri- wow. in crypto since the last bull run. And let's so just like- pause because what that entails is they actually have to do some fairly sophisticated crypto native stuff to get their their ETH assets on the other side, right? They have oh, to yeah. like their, connect their shares and are, and- I guess, keys are trading now. So they've done wow. it. Wow. Wow. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, I actually, you know, we we invested in BitClout and it, you know, I don't I don't think it worked. I think it's okay to say that. Um, but I, I, I thought it was an interesting idea in terms of, you know, how do you kind of unify the creator economy with a lot of the fungible token action that we saw on chain? And um, I, I don't think the question is like, can and I said this before, it's like, it's not like, can you build it? It's like, can you kind of, can you find a legal framework that you can fit it into where, you know, you don't get taken to the cleaners by regulators immediately. And I don't think changing shares to keys is is probably enough. <laughs> but for context for the bankless listeners, friends.tech used to call them shares because you're buying shares in your friends. Uh, this last weekend, they rebranded to keys. Oh my so, God, I totally missed that. Yeah, so they can only imagine why. Now? Yeah, they're, they're called, called keys. Now. They're longer? No longer called shares. Um, but. Like I, I, I really am a fan of the dev team racer and and I forget the other uh, woman's name, but I think they're, you know, in crypto for the right reasons. I like them a lot. Um, and if people remember, they they built Steelcam, which was a, a consumer mm. app that was around, I think, earlier this year. Um, so maybe they weren't expecting this to catch fire like it has, but it certainly did. And I think now the question is like, how do you ex post facto kind of stick handle your way around the obstacles that exist? So you can make this interesting, but I think there's a path like, you know, this influencer on Instagram that I saw, you know, they were telling their friends and like one thing leads to another. Hmm. I don't Wait, know. So what, what's the concern here from a regulatory? Am I just seeing obvious by saying that Gary Gensler would, would maybe think of all of these, um, these humans trading shares and everything's a security. I mean, it, it's hard for me to um, say that because like Gary just seems to think everything's a security. So of course, I mean, I, it's not even clear to me whether he, like he knows if Pokemon cards, if they're like instantiated as an ERC-20 or uh, a security or not. Is this the main concern that this is going to run afoul of sort of uh, SEC as a regulatory body? Is that what you're inferring here, Vance? I think that's the question. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the answer. But, um, you know, there used to be a... Uh, uh, a market for the secondary or, or to, trade, to trade shares and athletes. So like you get it like a percentage of their contract and that was like highly regulated and existed on a, a traditional exchange. Um, and so there's like precedent here, but I'm, I'm just, they obviously think that they have a workable framework. I think people on Twitter, you know, there's opposing views. I think the question is who's right and, you know, doesn't matter. I think this conversation as to whether or not these things are like, should be considered and categorized as financial assets that need to be regulated. It's part and parcel with this other half of crypto Twitter that's kind of taking a more resentment stance towards friends saying like, great, our the breakout consumer application that we have is a Ponzi game that allows us to you know financialize our friends and speculate on them. And great, this is clearly our breakout apps are all Ponzi's. Ponzi, Ponzi games, not Ponzi schemes. And so like there's this growing resentment out of you know a decent portion of, of the crypto landscape is that we can't actually make any application that's not about 
speculation and financialization and uh, something that kind of resembles gambling. Gambling. Yeah. What, what's your take about that? Speculation and financialization are okay. They're not evil in and of themselves. Um, I think if you think about the definition of a Ponzi scheme, it's literally something that is financially unsustainable by design. Mm -hmm. These are not Ponzi schemes. These are just tokenizing shares of a person. And if they go up, down, or sideways, there's no perpetual motion machine that someone's trying to create. And you know, if if we could live in a if we lived on a small island together where we could set the rules, you know, I think this would be something that would be okay with me. I think it's something that creators want. You know, their, their alternatives are are selling like, you know, coffee scrubs or like sugar bear hair, you know, vitamins for people to regrow their hair. It's it, like the options for creators to monetize themselves are actually really shitty, honestly. Um, and I think if you got a way for people to incentivize a community and also pay them fairly for what they've contributed or a way to transact with the creator directly, they would want that. And so I don't think it's morally wrong or the speculation is inherently bad. I think we're bootstrapping an economy and painting everything with a wide brush is is one way to just kind of like delegitimize the crypto industry. And I see that people are trying to do that. And I think it's okay to push back because this is not that, frankly. Yeah, maybe asking kind of an, another case. So I tweeted this out last night and I said, you know, is, is friends.tech good for crypto or bad for crypto? And it good was for really crypto. divided. It was, it was 50, it was in my, is not like, divided. <laughs> my, yeah, you are not divided, but in my, uh, Twitter followers, which obviously skew heavily crypto is 55 to 45, Wow. uh, and, uh, 55. Yes. So by some margin, but not a lot and 45% no. And I think this comes from the back, um, Vance of like, um, you know, 2022, which felt like there are a lot of, um, short-term type games. We don't even mm -hmm. have to instantiate the you know the p word for that the ponzi word for that just short-term games uh being played um you know so people look at this and they see a bunch of like crypto elites getting rich again look at them influencers like making all of this money maybe there's some resentment there maybe there's like a sense of oh, and i got left behind but i think more broadly it's um to some people in crypto it feels like straying from the mission like i thought you were here to revolutionize finance i thought you were here to um bank the unbanked I thought this was about like a per global permissionless money system. Now here you are stuck, you know, on, on kind of like this, this tourist trap and you're back to your like JPEG selling shenanigans again of speculating on like shares. And so even within the, the settlers who are still here, right. There's like this sense that, yeah. um, I don't like where this is going. This is not where I signed up for. And you could tell them, you could say, well, then just ignore it. Just opt out. You don't have to do it like whatever. But, um, I think there's some worry that the, I guess the social layer of crypto is, is gets kind of corrupted by these short-term uh, games and this kind of shilling, and we, or at least in, or maybe we we get off mission, off focus. What do you think about this? I think uh, I think I generally think people like to rewrite history in crypto, um, and like what provokes the immune response from like you know crypto Twitter to immediately seize on this thing and throw it out the window. I can't say exactly what it is, but I think it has something to do with uh, we are now going into a territory that has historically not been crypto's domain. Like we're trying to onboard influencers and entertainers and people who are not just the crypto Twitter set onto this. And I, I think that's a noble mission and it's okay to be upset as well. But I do think ultimately expanding the pie is good for everyone. This is also one of 10 concurrent narratives that we have today. And like, is it my favorite? It's not. You know, it's I don't think it's like the most interesting. I don't think it's going to scale the most. Um, but I think it's really awesome that entrepreneurs are taking shots on things that 
are you know difficult to understand, complex to build, and difficult to navigate from the regulatory perspective. So I don't know. I'm never going to really uh, you know take a poor view of an entrepreneur for for pushing the envelope. I just think people need to, if they don't like it, just focus on something else. Life is too short to be upset. I think one of the most fascinating things about this will be sort of any regulatory reaction to this, oh because this will be kind of like an acid test, right? And so if the US uh, bans this or does something quite drastic, won't it just move offshore where these, these t- types of um, you know laws, this, these securities laws don't exist? I don't know. I, I think that's going to like force the question even more of like, what is an actual security and, and what's not? And if you tokenize something, at what point does it become a security? So I'm actually kind of bullish about this as an acid test for answering some of those questions. I mean, does the SEC really want to be in the business of like, regu- like <laughs> painstakingly regulating all of these influencer tokens? Like, is that what they want to be spending their time doing? Are they equipped for that? Um, I, I like it from that perspective too. To be clear, no, only the crypto industry is adding to the conversation, the regulatory angle about friend shares. The SEC hasn't done anything <laughs> you, about that. That's true. You wait for the video though, David. It's coming. Maybe it has already moved offshore. It's a, it's a very like US condition that all the people who I've seen backlash against this are US based and they say, no, it's a security. We can't have that. It's over. It's like, well, maybe it's our I, like. Do you know where Racer, the anime girl on Twitter, whose Twitter account is locked and private, do you know where he, she, or they live? Maybe it's in a country where this is allowed. I think it's more of a decision on on a per, I guess, key basis for each person. Where are you based? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of many narratives that that we need to get through on this show. So Vance, let's wrap let's wrap this one up. Social Fi, which is what people are calling this. What are your big takeaways and learning lessons from this friends movement? Like what, what, what are you now thinking of that you weren't thinking of maybe two weeks ago? Um, honestly, it's a continuation of the recovery, continued interest and continued experimentation of crypto. I think that was the thing that I was looking for is like, you know, wh- when are we going to really get that? I guess it might have been kind of like the NFT, the big clout moment where we start spreading our tentacles outside of like, you know, the winter's cave that we've built for ourselves. And I think that's basically now, you know, with base, with this, like you have enough sign that it's starting to happen. Games are going to come soon. I think it's just a continuation of a positive trend that's happened since probably November of last year. I can't believe it's it's been 10 Almost months year, since yeah. FTX blew yeah. up. It's crazy. But it's okay, so- like we've made more progress and we're a better place than I would have expected at that point in time. Okay, so your your big takeaway is that it's a strong plus one to the idea that appetite is returning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, for sure it is. If you hate it or love it, it's just it's a fact. What do you guys think of this progressive web app thing? This bypassing of the app store is that significant to you? Do you think that's a model that will be replicated and useful for us? I think so. Many people are are affected. So there's two advantages, right? You can pin a app to your homepage on your phone. Um, that's one. And the second is. Historically, the problem with getting crypto on Apple or on iOS has been that if you're on the App Store, you owe 30% to Tim Apple. Um, and that's just really hard if you are selling digital goods for a variety of reasons, let alone like what happens when it's a secondary market transaction. With this, you can use Apple Pay outside the confines of the iOS App Store, and you don't have to pay that tax. So like, expect people to move more and more towards this model as, as a mobile first paradigm 
where we don't actually have to deal with the app store, which is super bullish. You know, it's the tax. It's also the asking for permission. It's also the gatekeeping. Yeah. I remember when Uniswap, they were talking about their wallet and it took them, I don't know, like 10 months, a year to like get yep. through the permissions process to actually get listed in the app store. And so you could bypass this. I mean, I was amazed at how fast friend.tech was spun up and it was, <laughs> it was pretty clunky. I mean, let's be honest, like the UX yeah. is just like lacking. Um, but they were able to do this because they didn't have to ask for permission and go through like a months long process of getting listed. It's awesome. Okay, Vance, let's get into uh, the fang of DeFi smell. We're going to go through each one of these tokens just so, because I actually have not actually heard which tokens are which. I can, you know, speculate, I can guess, but I actually don't know. I don't know if it's ever been uttered before what, what tokens correspond to what letter. But before we get into the specifics, what makes you think that we are actually in a place where we can have a fang of DeFi? Because a fang implies some sort of, you know, lasting power. It's not going to go away. It's a pretty pretty stable foundation. Why do you think that we have a fang of DeFi in the year 2023? Yep. So before I before I get into that, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, um, when I talk about these, uh, when I talk about smell, I'm talking about the actual products, not necessarily the tokens, mm. um, not financial advice, not talking about token price. And the last disclosure is we own all of these tokens. Um, so smell in my mind was uh an exercise in coming up with okay you know bomb went off in july and november of last year and basically everything was just completely decimated the hundreds of uniswap copycats the hundreds of stable coins that shouldn't have existed but you know amidst all the wreckage of that you did see that there were a lot of protocols that frankly were generating earnings they had real traction their networks were picking up an activity um and I think, you know, if you look at the dot-com bust of 2000, you know, what happened to the NASDAQ was very different than what happened to individual stocks in terms of the NASDAQ just absolutely got crushed. There was so much vaporware out there that basically, you know, it weighed down the index for years. But if you looked into the internals, you saw things like Amazon, you had the Google IPO in 2003. You know, there were enough companies with enough fundamentals where that led the new meta and it led the reconstruction of the industry. And, and that's basically what I think is going to happen here. And, you yeah. know, there's amazing projects that are not in smell. It's not to disparage them. But I think in my mind, that is, you know, our core portfolio in terms of like, what do we think is going to be really from a, from a fundamental perspective, an attraction perspective, valuable. Um, and so... You know, smell is synthetics, maker, Ethereum, Lido, Link, um, and you know that, that that's it. That that's that's smell, and and we can go through each of them. Did but you, I, I gotta ask, did you come up with the acronym first, or the company, or the uh, projects <laughs> first? <laughs> so one uh, came up with the companies first, and then I rearranged all the letters enough times where I was like, you know, there's only one combination. Smell was that... the best you could do, huh? Smell was the best I could do, <laughs> basically. Um, and we can go through each of them, but sure. I think, you know, there's there's a sense in my mind that these are the companies that have the enduring advantage, the talent, the traction, um, and they're going to kind of lead us out of the bull market in, or out of the bear market in terms of just having products that work at scale. Sure. Yeah. So let's let's go through each one because I think each one provides its lessons to mm -hmm. uh, the crypto world. So starting with synthetics, right? Uh, Framework already had a big win with synthetic synthetics coming out of twenty seventeen to into the mm -hmm. twenty twenty uh, bull market. 
why uh, 2021 bull market? So why why synthetics? What, what signal did synthetics provide you when you said that a bomb went off twice in 2022? What signals was synthetics giving you that it was going to be able to make it? The the main one is just frankly the reformation of this new team around the product. And you know, synthetics was something that always kind of had fits and starts a product market fit. Kane is an amazing entrepreneur. He he took some time off last year. Just he he was just frankly burnt out. And this is public knowledge. But you know, he came back. He's re-energized. They have this amazing new core core talented team. They launched Perps. Uh, they launched V two point five, and they're about to launch V three. And really, V3 is a culmination of the, effectively, since I've been involved with synthetics, all the learnings, all the products that we've wanted to build. And you can see it in the traction. You know, they're doing $500 million days. They've got tens of front ends, probably 100 at some point this cycle. And if you look at, you know, last week, there was like a million two in fee income. And it was just people getting blown out, liquidated, playing, paying funding rates. And you know, one of the worst days of the year in terms of price action was as, a, and I think we're one of the larger stakers was our most profitable. And mm -hmm. if you annualize what they're doing, you know, it, it basically equates to about fifty to sixty million of earnings that go directly back to token holders. And like, there's the, you know, finding product market fit part. There's the creating value part, and then there's the capturing value part. And Synthetics has done all of those. And if you didn't know anything about crypto and you were dropped in the middle of it and told to point to the profit centers, you'd point to Binance and you'd point to all their perps markets. So if we can get 1% of that, I'm going to be very, very happy with where Synthetics is. And Infinex, which is Kane's you know, new kind of like quasi-centralized exchange, that's just going to be another boon to the volume. And so I think it's a pretty clear story. And frankly, all the other perps companies have, have died for the most part. So there's a lack of competition. Maybe as we go through all of this, smell, S-M-E-L-L, -L, um, one, one question I have to maybe help frame this thing is that we have successful apps, successful protocol teams, right? Each one is, we're going to talk about each one. And, but the way that you've selected them, like perps and, you know, synthetic assets in of itself is also just a, a fundamental vertical that exists in crypto. And so there's right. one part is like, we have, you know, five different teams that we're going to talk about. Each one is, you know, being successful. That's why we're talking about them. But then there's also the value landscape that exists irrespective of the, these teams. And I think synthetics you're saying is it's a successful team for all the reasons that you just articulated. And it's building inside, inside of this very valuable landscape called like synthetic assets and, and perps. Is that like kind of a model for how we should think about these things? Because we're about to talk about maker and decentralized stable coins, which, you know, another big valuable vertical in this crypto world. Is that kind of how we should think about these things as we go forward? Yeah. So the the things that I would I would keep in mind in terms of the two pieces of context that underlie all of these is that number one, these are crypto endogenous markets. Like we don't need to create anything new. The cash flow already exists. It just happens to sit inside the centralized exchanges. Um, and so that's the first one. And the second one is we're riding a tailwind that already exists in terms of the transition from centralized to decentralized. And if you look at last month, it was 40%. 40% DEXs did 40% the volume of centralized exchanges. Uniswap did more volume than Coinbase. Mm -hmm. So like it's already happening. I'm, I'm not like reinventing the wheel. I'm just lucky to be able to ride with these entrepreneurs and protocols to the promised land. So the last thing I'll say is there are basically 2022 is brutal. All other protocol teams, you know, uh, Uniswap clones, derivatives, clones, stablecoin clones, they're all dead. So like you now have number one, 
incumbents in each of these categories that are poised to just compound their advantage. And that's another theme that we can keep talking about. Yeah, the the number one rule of crypto is uh, do not die, do not get washed out, stay in the game, right? And so, yep. uh, if you're still in the game at this point in time, uh, you're you're doing well. All right, so that's the S. How about the the M? We got uh, Maker. I think you said. Tell us about mm-hmm. why is Maker in the SMILL acronym? M uh, M for Maker is is a is a new one for us. Fair, fairly recent. Um, we've been in DeFi forever. We hadn't held Maker in forever. Um, just because we didn't really understand the stablecoin model in an era of low interest rates, um, we thought the expenses were a bit out of control. But you know, Rune is is an interesting, really singular figure, and I was always kind of like interested in in kind of like his leadership of the project. And you know, I, I think people have you know personal views on whether it's like too much leadership or like not enough. But like those to me are like personal issues, and like this is like just it's just like investing. It's just business for me, at least. Um, and so I think when I first came around to Maker was just reading Endgame, and it was it was very bizarre. Like everyone read Endgame, and I think people's the most of the reactions I heard were like, "This is absurd." AI for governance, having a separate token, you know, rebranding, redenomination, all this stuff. But to me, it just encapsulated a lot of what I was feeling in terms of like, what are the lessons of the last cycle? You know, like. It's 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 uh it's redenomination rebranding is a good way to restart. You know they have all this USDC in the PSM. If they can redeploy it into Treasuries, that can be a base of 150 million of revenue that they can build on. Um, you know the sub DAOs having the allocator model that makes a lot of sense to me. You know spinning out those things so that Maker can focus on just being a really cohesive core unit that's basically a central bank, and and so like you know all of those things. Um, were really good indications to me that Maker was turning itself around, but also like I, you know, I've I've been historically disillusioned with with central banks and 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 that type of thing, and just this felt like an opportunity to create a decentralized central bank, um, and I thought that was just fascinating, and I think Endgame is the right way to get there. So, you know, those are the things which I really like. It has you know I think a hundred and fifty or sixty million of revenue today. Earnings are probably eighty. That, is million. that annualized revenue? That's annualized revenue, and and I think it's just going to keep scaling as they deploy more of the PSM into treasuries, but also their their lending business ramps up and they're they're ramping interest rates, so that'll go up. Um, and sub DAOs are super interesting in my opinion. Like I want to go farm them, I want to go figure out what's going on, I want to go participate in in these new, you know, governance experiments, and I think it's a really hopeful view of crypto that I like, and I like that about what Rune is saying. And you know, I've I've never met him, um, but just from what I can understand, like it's, it's just the right direction. So, you know, it's, uh, that, and, and a lot of the capitulation around the token has got me pretty excited. Um, I think when, you know, the best time to buy something is when nobody believes, but you have to know why. And, and there's, there's the why it's on chain. It, it exists. You can go read it. Um, and I think it's, it's just really interesting. It's, it's the first DeFi protocol that'll probably hit a hundred million of earnings. And that's this just is, like fascinating to me. It's interesting to me because like Maker is the OG of OG protocols. Like yeah. Ma- Maker was the DeFi app that got me into the space, got me actually before excited we called it about. DeFi. Yeah, yeah, before we called it DeFi. And they're definitely pushing the frontier of like governance, right? They're stretching the governance thing as far as they can. You got kind of the narrative of real world assets and, and that sort of thing. Not once in your description, uh, Vance, did you mention stablecoins? Like die. That's the actual product yeah. that they're creating. Does that matter less in this world, or is is die 
still important. I mean, you, you were talking about um, this as sort of a, a central bank, I guess, maybe implied there is, is DAI as a stable coin. But it, it, I think the narrative right now is that um, basically, you know, PayPal is going to come up with their, their centralized stable coin and you've got USDC and you've got Tether and then you had the fall of the algo stable coins and like, you know, people aren't as excited about DAI as they once were back in the era of like 2017, 2018. Um, what's your take there? Is that a, a, f a factor in this project? Uh, I mean, Tether is a really bad stable coin for us as an industry to embrace, in my opinion. Um, it also doesn't have a lot of the utility of something like DAI, where you can stake it and earn yield through the DSR. You can go farm with it in sub DAOs. You can go finance, you know, bridge and construction loans like they already do. Like, there's a lot of things you can do with DAI that don't doesn't exist today. And non-stablecoin DAI supply bottomed at one billion in November 2022. Like, that was a point where I think you could, as a rational person, say that this might die. DAI might die, whatever. But now <laughs> it's like, like it. you know, funny, whatever. So now it's like a billion. It's grown five x. And so like there's a recovery underfoot and the question is where does it top out where do, makers business model is very simple how much die is there what is the interest rate that they are earning on it i think die is going to go from about 5 billion today to probably about 15 to 20 billion in the, in the next you know few years and i think rates on that are probably going to be around where treasury bills are and say that's like you know 4 to 5% you know 20 billion times 5% is a billion in earnings you know, and, and the DSR will have to be taken out of there and we'll see where that lands. But like, wow, what an incredible different project. And and like, I don't think of it, I, I guess it is a stable coin. I think of it more as like a central bank, but I think the hope is that we can actually like fix the money and help fix the industry. So I think the mission is noble as well. And, you know, B-denomination is one hell of a drug, frankly. Like if you, uh, I remember when AntShares rebranded to NEO, that's like super OG, you know, mm -hmm. that's like Chinese crypto. People yeah. probably are not with me on that one, but um, like you can really that. <laughs> reform communities around this stuff. And if you have a new brand and I'm excited to see what that is, like, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And, that's you know, if you, if you lose money on vaporware, you feel stupid. Um, but if you buy things with fundamentals and in, in my view, I can sleep a lot better at night. The inclusion of Maker in what we are calling the fang of DeFi, and yes, like loosely held, it's still in the early days, of course, but that's to say that DAI is the stablecoin that's won the stablecoin wars. There, there's you know massive stablecoin wars that have existed both in the centralized and decentralized landscape. So are you saying that, or do you think that Maker has actually won the decentralized stablecoin wars? It's earned that throne? Oh, I think I think it's gonna. I think the wars are gonna get so intense in the next twelve to twenty-four months. Why would you hold USDC if you can go stake die in the DSR and earn yield? You know, and so like the addressable market for that trade is Circle's market cap or USDC's market cap, which is like twenty-five billion. So like I'm not just pulling this like twenty billion number out of my ass. Like there's there's real, um, you know. Sub DAOs are going to add more die uh, demand. Uh, the DSR is going to add more die demand. Um, all the different projects that are in the maker ecosystem, but also just like people want a better stablecoin. I have that distinct sense, and so I think both sides of the USDC ETH pairing, and I tweeted this, are going to turn to be focused about yield. Why would you, an LP, not be doing S die and wrap staked ETH in a pair on Uniswap? What what's the point of LPing if you're not maximizing your yield? Maybe there's something else that I'm missing, but 
you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of momentum there. All right. The ETH. E, the e is, the e is uh, I don't know so, if we need to really unpack this one too much. The e, <laughs> e is Ether. Let's yeah, get I a mean, minute, though. E, Come e on, e is tell for us ether. more about ETH, okay? I, I think, um, for me, the reason why I, I think ETH is just so interesting is because, I mean, there's a few things. Um, number one, it's just, it's such a unique network, you know? It passes, uh, you know, twenty percent of the fees to ETH holders. It burns the rest. Um, it has this web of L two model, and I think everyone was waiting for Cosmos to play out with this model in mind, and it just happened to have played out on ETH. And I'm talking to Cosmos teams that are moving to ETH now, just saying like we've trudged up this hill. We've tried to get our validators going, but it's just easier to launch an L two. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, the demand that's sticky to ETH L1 is the DeFi. It's the high quality NFTs. That's not going anywhere. I'm not moving my money on any bridge. Absolutely not. Um, and so like you have defensibility, you have this web of, of chains playing out, but you also have just like ETH as this super unique asset for the network. And like all friend tech shares are priced in ETH or I guess keys are priced in ETH. You know, all of the interesting, you know, bridge pairs are, are, are ETH as well. It, it's just like the language. It's the asset of, just i don't know the it's speculation but also just like this digital world and digital economy that we're building on chain um and i think that's really cool so i i don't know there's not much to to say about eth other than its network effects are compounding the multi-chain thesis has gotten worse not better um and if you talk to all the tradfi people they're they're it's like it's like you know they're not putting anything anywhere unless it has nuclear grade censorship resistant guarantees and that's what ETH is. And so like all the real world assets that you see, those are going to ETH and those are just going to keep increasing. And that's like one of our core theses for ETH going forward is all of the tokenized stocks, bonds, assets that exist um, or that don't exist yet, those are going to go on ETH. And if you look at the the dashboard of, of real world assets, there's about 680 million. They're growing 30% per month. Um, and so you're probably looking at like 10 billion of fixed income on chain at some point next year. And so that's going to be a huge boon. Each cycle, ETH just swallows more real-world assets. Last cycle, it was stablecoins. This cycle, it's going to be fixed income. Maybe in 10 years, it'll be, you know, some crazy ETFs that, that we don't, you know, even know about yet. But, you know, so you, so you I said um, that the, the, the institutions out there, the big money, the outside players who are coming in to allocate, that they really value censorship resistance. Why, why is that? Can you just unpack that conversation? What, what is the trad conversation around ETH asset and Ethereum the network like? I think the conversation is pretty simple. It comes from a place of you're telling me I can lower my costs, I can increase uh, or I can decrease my settlement times, I can offer my product to more people if I put it on chain. Okay, that's the that's the pro side. The con side is what happens if the chain goes down? What happens if ETH is a or or if the underlying token is a security? What happens if someone steals my token somehow? It's all the same questions that you think you'd get from normies, but they're like 10 times more loud just because these people have real money at risk. And so ETH is, you know, it's like, uh, you know, are you going to host your company's website on AWS or like some new startup, uh, you know, uh, AWS competitor? Like you're always just going to choose AWS. There's no risk that you can take that would make it worth it for you to go with some other, you know, platform. So that's the ETH effect, basically. Part of the the implication, I'm wondering if uh, if this is true. So with with Fang, right? You have sort of the the Fang tech stocks, and they're all somewhat on an equal footing. You know, they're they're all tech companies. 
um, you, you have ETH in the middle of a set of um, DeFi apps, assets, yeah. essentially apps, right? And so sort of like the bankless idea would be that, um, no, actually ETH is, is not side by side these other sort of DeFi applications. It's even more important. It's like base level. It's almost like buying, you know, a NASDAQ index. It's an index of all of them, or it's almost like, you know, betting on uh, Silicon Valley or like, you know, uh, the nation state of uh, the the U.S. or something like this. And and I, I'm wondering if you see it that way as well, or if you treat this as, hey, it's, you know, it's kind of similar to synthetics or Maker or Link or, or you know, Lido and the other assets. Do you give it any special status? I mean, like, is yeah. it a unit of denominator? ETH, ETH has special status for us, and, and it also has, you know, turbo special status in terms of our portfolio weighting. But, you know, I mean, your point is right. You know, everyone's bridging assets to ETH, whether it's Rollbit, whether it's DMT from Sanko Game Corp. Like, everyone wants the liquidity, the profile. It's the main stage of finance. This is where you want to be. And it's the same thing on the L2 side. You know, everyone is creating an ETH L2. If it's a game, you need your own L2. There's, a, I saw a real world asset L2. I saw, like, I've seen so many. I think one of my questions is, how many L2s are there going to be? Is it going to be? I think, I think, like earlier in the year it was my mind was hundreds. Now it seems like probably thousands. And it's like you know thousands of L2s, each one paying ETH stakers one ETH per day. And that's like a super weird, interesting economic model that doesn't exist anywhere except for crypto. And so I, I think you know ETH is ETH is super well positioned. You definitely need the E in order to make smell, though, the yeah, acronym. Right. So yeah. that, that's why it has to be in the yep. middle here. <laughs> exactly. All right, moving on to our first L. Uh, does Lido or Link come first, and does that matter? <laughs> it does matter. Lido comes first. <laughs> why does Lido come first? Uh, it doesn't actually matter. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Lido is just, uh, first of all, the team is just incredible like Constantine, Hasu, all the guys in the Telegram, you know, Seraphim, like all those dudes, like they're just firing on all cylinders. They just hit 8.3 million ETH today. And they've had like 50, 60,000 ETH input days, which is just wild to see. And you can see it on chain and there's a really good dashboard on Dune. It's just Lido Finance Extended if you want to keep score at home. But, you know, let's say, I think at the end of the year, when we when we bought Lido last year, my expectation was that by the end of this year, they would hit 10 million in ETH staked. I think they're they're on board on they're on track to hit or exceed that. And so, like, you know, check mark. Mm -hmm. Um, end of next year, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20. Either way, they are the dominant LST provider. And on their tech roadmap, it's DVT, it's staking modules, it's effectively decentralizing it and making it more and not less ETH lined. And I think that was always one of the ex existential threats is like, would the EF just like tell everyone to go home at some point. And I don't know how they would do that, but I don't think they want to anymore. Um, and so my hope is that, you know, people like Swell, people um, like Rocket Pool, people, you know, like Figment, eventually they just become node operators on Lido and it becomes less about like this, like one monopolizing factor and more about we've created this platform for everyone to run nodes on safely so we can make the cost and the overhead of running ETH nodes as low as humanly possible. Um, and I think that's a really noble mission. And I think it's really ETH aligned. I think it's really, you know, personally aligned. Um, and you can, you can do the math, you know, let's say that Lido has 20 million ETH in it staked at the end of next year. 
And let's say, you know, just for all intents and purposes that the price of ETH is 5,000, whatever, new all-time highs. So they would have 100 billion in TVL. Let's say yields are five, 5%. They have 5% or they have 5 billion in yields flowing through them. And they take a 10% cut of that, which is 500 million. Wow. What an amazing business. You know, lever to ETH, super unique, super defensible. Steeth has its own network effects because it's money. It's used in DeFi. It'll soon replace all the LP pairs. Just like, wow, that doesn't exist anywhere else. So I think it's really interesting. How do you think the fee dynamics play out, though, is my big question here. Because we have we have a, another, like we had the stablecoin wars. Now we have the LST wars, liquid staking token wars. Uh, I mean, everyone everyone wants to be the winner. Everyone wants to be the monopoly. Uh, everything like that's on the, if you are an LST, you want to be the dominant LST. Uh, and so the thought is that all the fees just compress to zero and even under the model of, uh, okay, everything just fits under the Lido umbrella with all their staking modules. How, how do you think about the fee dynamics playing out over the long term here? Sure. So just to lay it out for everyone, Coinbase charges 25% on CBETH, Rocket Pool charges about 12% on um our ETH. Uh, our ETH. uh frax is similar to wreath uh swell is similar to wreath when it's you know done with its incentive period but like the cost factor that is most predominant for these staking providers is how do you pay your node operators like there's a cost to running nodes and if you don't have good quality nodes with good quality operators the worst thing is going to happen which is you get slashed and you lose your ETH. and so like the price can, uh, and, and let me go even further. If you look at the centralized staking providers, Coinbase, you know, uh, Figment, places like that, they're like a seven to nine percent fee. So there's not like there's some like external force saying like we can do it for so much cheaper. It's like that is the rate. Like we've kind of already competed with each other down to what fees are going to be. Um, and if you think about, you know, uh, the really small subscale operators like the new startups, uh, and we're we're in, we're investors in a lot of them. There's a certain point where you can't actually pay your node operators correctly if you're subscale. And I think subscale in my mind is like anything less than a million ETH. Mm. So a lot of these people are going to face, you know, cost pressures in terms of like how do we pay our node operators effectively while keeping some margin for ourselves? And I think long term the answer for that is that a lot of them build on Lido's DVT and staking module platform. The nodes are already there, you can already source them. You can compete with each other for fees if you want. It's going to be a marketplace. And that's how cost pressure will come down. In terms of, you know, where where are node operators today with the with the, you know, it's a 10% fee for Lido, five goes to the DAO, five goes to node operators. Node operators are running probably like a 20, 30, 35% margin business. Like there's not that much room to cut and keep them high quality. Say, say the price of ETH goes to 10K. They probably shouldn't get five and five, you know, half of the total fee split. They're gonna be running hugely profitable businesses at that point. That makes no sense. Um, and so, like, you know, as the price goes higher, I think the share captured by the Dow, Dow probably goes higher. But I don't see any real aggregate cost pressures coming. Hmm. I, I just don't think it would be safe. Yeah, yeah, I, I learned a lot just there. Um, let's move on to to Link. Time for the last L, Link. Why does Link get to be a part of a smell? I mean, perennially disrespected, you know, people don't take it seriously. People think it's a joke, whatever. 
the fact is, is that most of DeFi relies on Chainlink oracles. And if they were to rip out tomorrow, a lot of it would fail. And they finally launched CCIP, which is incredible. It's a cross-chain messaging protocol. So you can, you know, borrow on one chain, lend on another. You can, you know, cross-collateralize derivatives, transactions, whatever you want, you can build. Um, and so it finally has this economic model, which is frankly, I've been holding Chainlink since, man, I guess it's been like six six or seven years now, but uh, they finally have an economic model, which was always kind of what bothered me. It's like, when is staking going to come? When is this thing going to act, look, or feel like an L1 blockchain that has some security guarantees? And now it does. And so that's very positive. And they've already got all the oracles integrated. It's just a question of like, what else can they sell? Is it cross-chain messaging? Is it asset transfer? Is it random number generation? Like they've got a lot of products in there. And so I think, you know, Link Marines are amazing as well. Don't don't count them out ever. Oh, they uh, harass us. They harass us a lot. They're going to harass us now. Good. good <laughs> oh, you. don't encourage makes them. You, makes you grind harder. Okay, but, so here here and here's why. Cuz like I at least from my opinion as to like why I get scared about Link is exactly what you said. Like if Link went down goes down, if the chain link goes down, like all of DeFi collapses. That scares me. And I actually don't want that to be the state of things. I think that we should be more resilient than that. And so I would like to have some sort of bottom up more emergent solution to some like top down here is the state of all prices Oracle provider. And so that's why I get scared of link. I'm I think it's okay to be scared. I get scared sometimes, but <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I don't know. Like I'm not, I would never self delude myself into thinking that it had an economically secure model. And that was the scariest time for me. It's like in the last bull run, we run Chainlink nodes. We're just getting paid Chainlink. You know how? Like, we didn't have to stake. Like, how does this work? Now it's much different, and I think we have reasons to be optimistic about you know why it's going to provide a more secure backbone for DeFi, um, but also do a bunch of other things outside of oracles. And I think everyone should use Uniswap oracles as a you know range bound indicator of like are Chainlink oracles correct? Uh, but it's it's oracles are so hard. You know, there's no answer. It's just like, hopefully a bunch of them combined can do something, you know, better than the status quo. And I think Chainlink is moving in a, in a positive direction to make everything more safe, which is good. So for me, uh, just one observation, and then I have a question for you, Vance. So uh, my observation is this, when, when you mentioned the age of like link tokens and how long you've been holding, yeah. it struck me that like, damn, these are some old tokens. This is some uh, boomer DeFi, if I may say so myself. So we've got Synthetics, we've got Maker, we've got Link. Uh, Lido is the that only is kind of newer one, yeah. kid on the block, but this is some like DeFi 1.0 stuff that you are advocating here. So that's my uh, comment. And then my, my question is... Um, but what about, and I know we're, you're talking about the projects and not the tokens themselves, but now it's our time to kind of inject the, you know, like the token question. All of these assets, I haven't really looked at um, the charts of independent assets, but like I'll tell you directionally, we all know, they've all uh, disintegrated uh, as denominated in Ether. So my question is, you might be bullish on all of these things, and you've given a compelling uh, case as to why. 
why would you be more bullish on these things than just holding ether? So how about rather than the smell portfolio, the E portfolio, which is just like <laughs> just a whole bunch of ether. And that's been kind of the, the problem of, I, I feel like DeFi uh, tokens in general. I mean, look at maker, it's just flat for the last five years and probably down substantially as denominated in ether. Uh, can you uh, shade in that part of the story? Look, I can't get too much into token prices as you guys know. Um, mm. So I don't want to disappoint too much. The thing I will say is I see a lot of twi Twitter commentary about, you know, this asset is never going to break its all-time high in terms of Ether. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. It's down 95% relative to <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, It's it not recoverable? Take, well, it's like it would take like, you know, it would take a 20x gain against the ETH pair for it to, you know, break its all-time high. But like, if it, like, it can go up, 3x versus ETH with and still be down 70% against it. And in that scenario, you know, you've three or four X your ETH. Um, and so like, I don't know, the the myopic uh, you know, it'll never break its all-time high against ETH. May, I don't think that's what you're saying directly, but I do see that said a lot. And it just entirely misses the point of relative performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, smell is just a way of expressing like there's a lot of different things that are going on that are really positive in crypto. It happens to be mostly around the incumbents, DeFi 1.0 dinosaur coins, as you might have said, as you might have kind of uh, <laughs> alluded coins. to. But I think uh, last cycle was very VC driven. You know, we invented this thing, Solana, you know, in the last <laughs> bull market or in the last bear market, and you know, it's it just happens to be ready or like uh, Definity, and it, these charts are just tragedies. Like they just they, you know, the holders of these things, the private holders just sold them into retail and just absolutely eviscerated them. I think it's actually cool that we have the dinosaur coins that have real fundamentals that are, have been up hundred X and down 99% and are now kind of back from a fundamentals perspective. And you have enough price discovery that it's not like, you know, there's some guy waiting around the corner to sell his tokens into you. It's more fair. And I, I like that as well. Can we call this episode smelly dinosaur coins, please? Smelly dinosaur. <laughs> Okay, so I think the most interesting thing about smell is actually what's not there. Um, I would notice if we're talking about dinosaur coins, where's Uniswap? Uh, and that will also open up the can of worms that is the fee switch conversation, which is not just for Uniswap. I think that's a conversation for many, many DeFi tokens out there that are also call themselves governance tokens. So these conversations and more are coming up right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Are you a MetaMask user? Well, you're listening to Bankless, so of course you are. The wallet you know and love just got a whole lot better. MetaMask Portfolio is the ultimate one-stop shop for all of your crypto needs. It gives you a holistic view of your crypto portfolio across multiple chains and multiple addresses all at once. You can easily view and manage all your coins, tokens, and NFTs in one convenient place just by connecting your wallet. MetaMask Portfolio goes beyond just viewing your portfolio, though. Inside the portfolio, you can do all the incredible money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets with ease. It's like having a powerful battle station for all your DeFi moves right at your fingertips. So if you're looking to do more in Web3 your way, MetaMask Portfolio is the answer. I already know that you have MetaMask Wallet, so go check out your MetaMask Portfolio. Learn more at metamask.io slash portfolio. 
Introducing ETHX from Stator. ETHX is a liquid staking token designed to maximize rewards all while securing Ethereum. With Stator, you can run an Ethereum node with just four ETH, which is 85% lower capital and 35% higher returns versus just solo staking. Stator has a multi-pool architecture with both permissionless and permission node operators to enable decentralization and scalability. Stator has extensive experience in building liquid staking solutions on six proof of stake blockchains and is trusted by over 70,000 stakers. Stator has partnered with over 40 leading protocols on these chains to bring DeFi utility to their liquid staking tokens. Stator is actively building integrations and partnerships across Ethereum to bring the same great DeFi utility to the ETHX token. While smart contract bugs are always a risk in DeFi, the ETHX smart contract has received three independent audits and has a million dollar bug bounty with ImmuneFi. Go to statorlabs.com ETH stake to access the Stator staking protocol today. You know Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. And we're back rounding out this smelly conversation with why it's not a smelly conversation with a U. God, I hate myself for these puns. <laughs> Vance, uh, Uniswap, where does Uniswap land in your register and why didn't it end up in the smell index, smell portfolio? Could have been smell you, didn't end up being smell, smell you. you. But uh, so I, I think, you know, one of the themes of smell is that there's just such strong moats around all of these synthetics. It's the front end maker. It's the actual die stable coin Ethereum. It's, it's just the network of chains and the lindiness of DeFi and NFTs. Steeth as a network effect because it's money and link. It's just cause like nobody's going to rip out their oracles. There's just no shot. Right. We've right. We, people have tried to Uniswap is different. It's uh, I think probably the most vulnerable to disruption in terms of, Payment for order flow models and Uniswap X is a is a move in that direction. Um, you know, private order flow being sold through a different venue. Um, there's going to be a lot of that. That feels like the central difference between this cycle and the last is that we now have a bunch of these more sophisticated financial protocols. You know, companies that are starting to build payment for order flow on chain, and I just don't know how Uniswap is going to compete with that. Uniswap X is also, in my mind just a different direction for the protocol that probably doesn't have as much of a connotation around the token as, you know, I would like. And so, you know, like, I think if there was to be an addition, it would be probably Uniswap. Um, but right now I just, I don't have the confidence that uh, they're going to fend off uh, mm. all the payment forward flow that's coming on chain. Okay. So say I'm Uniswap and I aspire to be a part of Vance's smell index to turn it into the smell you, what do I need to do? Like, how do I, how do I pledge the, the index, the smell index? What do I need to get there and do to get there? Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, it's like, where's the team based? It's still the U S that's tough. Um, mm. you know, what, what does the protocol look like in the face of payment for order flow? Frankly, we're only going to know once like Uniswap X really launches and Uni v 4 um, and so I think it's just time. 
Mm. And like, I just, uh, one other common theme of all of these, of, of smell and, and also, I guess, Uniswap is that everyone has a plan. Synthetics, it's V3. Maker, it's Endgame. Ethereum, it's the scaling roadmap. Lido, it's, you know, DVT and uh, V2. Chainlink, it's CCIP. Like, they all have like an answer for like, where are we going? Uniswap, it, it feels more ambiguous. Um, and, you know, there's the company, there's the token, like who accrues what, why? Those are unanswered questions for me. So, you know, love Uniswap. I use Uniswap a lot, but just didn't make it. Guys, you guys are missing a tremendous opportunity. It's not smell you. It would be you smell, okay? <laughs> yeah, that is this true. Is, this is so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then if uh, if if Solana really pans out, I think I reserve the right to append that to, you know, or it smells. Be smells. Smells. <laughs> you smells. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Solana potential contender here? I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's a model for a chain which doesn't involve 100 L2s. I think you could argue the L2s are like leaking value from ethel one you could also argue that they're doing things ethel one could never do solana it feels like those two things are simpatico so i I think it's interesting and if you look at teams like Jito that are just showing up in an environment that's just a barren wasteland and like just eating glass all day every day that just feels like it doesn't matter what chain you're on if you do that long enough you're going to be successful i've never never heard you say such good things about solana man it's uh (laughs) That's new. That's interesting. I'm, 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 I, I have ideology around crypto and I think it's noble and important and I want to be in this industry for the rest of my life, but I'm open to new things. I'm not myopic. Yeah. I share, I share these sentiments it's really just to hammer out this last little bit about uh, the Uniswap uh, fee switch. How do you think about fee switches? Uh, they're off generally, but they could be on. Is that like, how do you even think about and consider this when you make a evaluation on, on a token? I think there's going to be an amazing time to turn the fee switch on um, when regulatory clarity arrives in the United States. And I don't mm. think that day is too far off, um, but I don't think that day is today either. Mm. So that's the main calculus. It's like political. And I really hate thinking about politics in the context of like investing. I like thinking about it in the aggregate because I find it fascinating, but I, I just, I can't bet on things that have political, you know, connotations to them. So Vance, as we close this out, there's a ton of other narratives um, that we could talk about. We could talk about uh, real world assets. We could talk about ETFs that I think we all think are are coming. We could talk about um, you know gaming in Asia. We we could talk about um, the Bitcoin happening events. All of these things uh, seem to be in in the future, and you've got uh, a bunch of them listed in the tweet. But I want to ask you kind of the the overarching question here: Do do you think that we are in the early phases of a uh, bull market? I mean, is is it um, is it too early to call that, or like what phase of the market cycle do you think we're in right now? I can't, I can't, I can't answer that. But uh, I'm optimistic that the technology is improving and will rapidly improve, you know, in, in the coming years. And I think crypto is inevitable, and we're kind of just stewards of it to some extent. And people come and go. There's like been a revolving door of main characters that have been blown out over the years who once were our standard bearers. And I think it's just going to continue to be the same. And the goal is to not be the main character. The goal is to just quietly shepherd the industry to where I think it's going to go. So is there a bull market, bear market? I have no idea. I think we're coming out of a bear market. I'm not sure what we're headed into. I think it's going to be better than the past couple of years. That's for sure. 
well, congrats on never being the main character, at least up to date. That's, uh, I, I, I hope that you will remain a supporting actor, uh, Vance, and we appreciate you always coming on just, Bankless. Just cameos, you know? <laughs> just cameos. Uh, awesome. Got to end with this. Of course, risks and disclosures. Uh, Vance mentioned his disclosures a little bit earlier about these smelly dinosaur co- coins that uh, he holds bags in. Um, I don't. Think we also anything... hold hold some smelly yeah, dinosaur sm- tokens. <laughs> we hold these things, especially the E in smell. Um, yeah. If you want to see all of our disclosures, of course, they are always available at bankless.com/disclosures. Just a reminder, Dave and I are long-term investors. We're not journalists. We don't do paid content. There's always a link to all of our disclosures there in the show notes. And got to end with this. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 